Welcome to Infoblox Threat Talk, where you'll find the latest thinking on how to tap the full potential of the cloud while making your network more reliable, secure, and automated. Welcome to Threat Talk, a new podcast series from Infoblox. My name is Peter Schof, and I've been covering IT security going on 15 years. In this series, we're setting out to map the current cybercrime threatscape, and with the help of both experts and hackers, we're digging into what threats companies are facing today and exactly what companies need to do to combat these threats. Today, I am excited to be joined once again by Michael Zuckerman, a consulting senior product manager for Infoblox. He is a seasoned B2B product marketing and marketing strategy consultant with experience in the cybersecurity and enterprise SaaS software markets. He has extensive domain experience in all facets of cybersecurity. In this podcast, we're going to be diving into the history and trends that has made the deployment of zero-trust architecture essential for the modern enterprise, as well as for government institutions. So, Michael, thank you so much for joining me again on another podcast. Thank you, Peter. Very good to be here. So as I alluded to in the intro, Zero Trust, can you just give me an overview of the history and evolution of Zero Trust? Okay. So about 10 years ago, Forrester Research introduced the original concept for Zero Trust. At the time, one of the lead analysts, his name was John Kindervog, was credited with really designing the original Zero Trust framework. If you step up to the thousand foot view, Zero Trust posits that the concept of a trusted internal network zone and an untrusted external network zone should be eliminated and forgotten. Said differently, Zero Trust really declares that all network traffic and the users and processors that create it are basically to be considered untrusted. So Kindervog was credited with saying that security professionals needed to stop trusting packets as if they were people. So way back at the beginning, Kindervog defined five basic tenets of zero trust, which are still pretty much applicable today. So the first is that data is the central element. You know, data is what you need to protect at all times and continually reevaluate that protection. Second, to protect your data, you need to understand how it flows and you need to build out things called micro-networks, which today we call micro-segmentation around it. Third, you need to understand truly the critical data that must be protected. And we, we sort of refer to that as toxic data almost, the data that, you know, if it gets in the wrong hands can cause harm. A fourth, monitoring and visibility are key. You have to have visibility into all activity, as everyone knows today. And fifth, and really the final tenant is that you need to wrap zero trust best practice into your security automation strategies and use orchestration tools to support your efforts. But just so you know, Forrester has been expanding the notion of zero trust as it's brought some fame back to them, which was well-deserved, and they've renamed the ecosystem Zero Trust Extended Ecosystem. Other analysts now are trying to do the same thing, trying to exert control over the Zero Trust strategy and then make it their own. So the Zero Trust strategy is being pulled in a few directions. Most important probably is that the vision for Zero Trust has expanded substantially based upon the user and vendor community. So it's really grown beyond micro-segmentation into a whole bunch of technologies that are designed to protect the internal network. So Zero Trust is now bigger truly than any single analyst firm and has a life and momentum all of its own. 
Gotcha. So zero trust is really on most companies' radar right now. And another thing on a lot of companies' radar is digital transformation. Where does zero trust fit into today's digital transformation age? Well, the digital transformation has really been about the move to the cloud. That was sort of the first big mile marker. Other key components like the use of SD-WAN to connect branch offices, the explosion in mobile devices and IoT devices. So as this digital transformation, all these pieces have started spinning around us and accelerated, it has unfortunately continued to contribute to a growing series of breaches and sometimes spectacular failures of legacy cybersecurity architecture, which we know is dependent mostly on firewalls and signature recognition as the core technology sets. NetNet, the digital transformation has sort of broken down legacy cybersecurity quite a bit. So today, you know, if you look at your enterprise, you probably have multiple cloud deployments with custom apps. SaaS-connected applications from third-party vendors, legacy on-premise data centers, perhaps. You know, your cloud vendors may all be different, so let's make it more complicated, right? So the administration of the basic capabilities may vary from cloud to cloud, and the tools they provide will vary. You'll also likely have third-party clouds managed and administered for you for major apps like CRM, finance, marketing, and more. All of these things are patched together with varying security controls that are different between on-premise and cloud, even between the clouds. And most CISOs and CIOs would tell you candidly that it has become a bit of a mess. They know where their gaps are, and they keep them covered as long as they can, hopeful that they can you know, evolve their strategy and growth to get it fixed. But right now, there's a lot of gaps. So in the past, you may have had, you know, one or more data centers, the lease lines, and today you've got SD-WAN connecting everything, which is using the internet. Today, you've got this IoT device explosion, and it's more complicated than it sounds because a lot of the technologies you have that might protect those devices, like your endpoint detection and response, don't work with things like medical devices, right? Medical devices are pervasive in hospitals. Many are IoT connected. And you can't run EDR on them. You know, they're closed devices. Mobile devices have exploded, both for employees that BYOD bring their own device. And this has become an essential and pretty much uncontrollable part of business operations. So this explosion has created you know, more access for hackers and malware. So this whole digital transformation, to sum it up, has brought in so many vulnerabilities that it's a virtual certainty today that you know, cyber attackers will successfully and regularly penetrate your network. So Zero Trust is set up to allow you to minimize their success once they do so, minimize their access to your protected data and your IP, slow their progress down, and detect them early enough in the execution of their kill chain that if you can stop them, your cyber defense strategy can prevail. So the way to think of it is, before, we had to keep them out at all costs. Now we know they're going to get in, but all we have to do is stop them before they can execute their full kill chain, and then you know we have prevailed. The cyber defenders have won. Fantastic, and excellent analysis as well. You've already brought up some of the basic capabilities of Zero Trust, but can we drill down on some of the other capabilities of Zero Trust? Sure. So Zero Trust has really turned the view upside down with a critical focus centered on data. Data is the center of the bullseye for protection. So historically, access to the network implied trust and access to all the data it contained. Forget about it. 
essential zero trust strategy is to deny access to all data by default and without exception until proven otherwise. One of the key ingredients of zero trust is encryption. And encryption is almost a get out of jail free card in the face of data breaches and increasingly onerous compliance regulation. If the data is encrypted per the tenets of most compliance regulations, the stolen data is useless and hence does not constitute a data breach. So you may say, well, we had a data breach, we had a security violation, but does it matter to the folks that administer HIPAA if it's encrypted? And the chances are pretty much no, it won't. So that's an important ingredient. Zero trust also mandates, you know, enhanced visibility is a key to success because you need to know what's going on. You need to see your authentication traffic, your access and attempted access to data. You need to know when passwords and authentication work and when they don't. User behavior can provide signals about both malicious activity and sometimes anomalous activity, both of which have to be spotted. Verbose logging, well integrated, can, can be analyzed by machine learning and other tools to find things. So these are all parts of zero trust. If we take it down to the 100-foot view, zero trust architectures would generally provide pretty much the following. Quick tick list here. So access to resources and apps based upon a continuously authenticated user, permissioned and properly protected device, you know where it is and what it is, and the physical location when it must be limited by policy. So your login may be correct. You may have rights to get to this application. But if you're trying to log in from Beijing and you were in Chicago an hour ago, by policy, that may be stopped, right? Enable minimum access to other than the smallest micro segments of the network. So this is the central part of zero trust as defined, especially by the analysts, is micro segmentation, right? So in the old days, you put in a few firewalls and you created zones, but this was all hard work to set up. Software micro segmentation enables you to build all these limiting segments in the network and restrictions using software. So this can be done very quickly and it's a powerful tool, especially in places where you have that IOT, you have those medical devices, you have those ATM networks. Now you can really put a wall around them, another wall to keep things out. And when they get in to make sure if they don't propagate any further, if they're not supposed to access only to special apps. Enable monitoring of user behavior, which I touched on before with analytics and machine learning. It's not just the user's activity, it's also the context of the device, right? It must be from a designated platform in a designated or acceptable location. So you can wrap a lot of policy in. End-to-end encryption I mentioned, high visibility I mentioned, and especially high visibility to outside destinations by address utilize threat intelligence to reject these new untrusted domains and those that have been identified as malicious and high risk. And we'll talk more about that. Great. So IT departments are under a tremendous amount of threat these days and pressure. So let's make it easy for them. Let's just walk through what is the best way to implement zero trust? Sure. So you start out with, you know, an analytical and thoughtful process. The implementation of zero trust architecture requires that you sort of step back and and do some basic analysis. At at the ground zero of this process, you really have to identify sensitive data stores, whether they're in the cloud and on-premise. And sensitive data, you know when you see it, right? It holds all that regulated compliance critical information, right? All the things about employee names, numbers, 
You know what that stuff is, plus your intellectual property that must be protected at all costs, <laughs> that have layers of policy wrapped around them related to, to governance. And you know mostly what those are, but you need to know where those are, right? Said differently than sensitive data, I like to refer to the notion of toxic data. That's the way to frame it so it burns an indelible place in your psyche, right? You need to identify which data is toxic data that you have to retain for business ops or compliance, but which you'd really rather not have because it is a risk, right? And to which access, you know, must be restricted to the minimum. I think you also need to identify points of vulnerability, high points of vulnerability. If you're in healthcare, you need to know where all those medical devices are because you can't install cyber defense software in them, but you have to put some defense around them. If you're in banks, ATM networks, contrary to what we may believe, they're hacked often spectacularly every year. And so those are other devices that need to be protected. Point of sale devices, all these vulnerable points you need to identify. You need to know the roles for every employee in your organization and then just start over. Give them the privileges they need at the barest minimum. When in doubt, make them come back to your IT organization and ask for an escalated permission, right? Roles include accountability, what they own, what their decision rights are, and especially as it pertains to sensitive data. And so you need to really ratchet down the permissions that you may have had historically, you know, especially if you let business partners and consultants and other people in your network. It's essential, really, that you keep the focus on visibility. And once again, you know, verbose logging, continual analysis, and the use of new machine learning-based tools will help you a lot. The basic identification analysis of critical and sensitive data, once it's done by you, then you can begin to roll out the zero-trust pieces that you need to protect it. Great. Now, you've certainly touched on some of the technologies, but let's specifically highlight, what are the key technologies that are important to zero-trust? Sure. And this alone, Peter, is the subject of a whole other podcast or meeting. There's a lot to talk about here. Once again, at its core, the primary tenets of zero trust are assembled based upon the assumption that all networks are hostile and dangerous at all times, and all users are to be trusted only as far as their last authentication. And that's it, right? So currently available security controls that are, I think, an essential part of zero trust can include certainly micro-segmentation, your SIEM, your SOAR, which is your orchestration, UEBA, which is a user behavior analysis, CASB, which are cloud access security brokers, deception technology, which can track unauthorized movement east-west in the network, identity and access management, adaptive access control, which is sort of the contextual behavior analysis that kind of wraps around your machine and where it is and what you're using for access. And finally, and very important to this session, is foundational security using DNS. Now, just to talk a little bit more about micro-segmentation, this is the core and essential requirement of a true zero-trust deployment, and it can be provided by software and or specialized hardware. But, you know, the edge of the art right now is all software configurable and deployable. So micro-segmentation implements the concept of a software-defined perimeter to help you segment the network into more granular pieces and then organize this around the critical data, i.e. the toxic data that you need to protect. This prevents and limits egress and access through the network. 
the way you want, focuses on security and gives you the things you need. Classically viewed, you know, by the cyber defenders, micro segmentation just locks down all that east-west lateral movement with any degree of granularity you need. Depending on how you implement it, micro-segmentation allows you to express your security implementation in terms of application-oriented constructs like web and database instead of IP address, subnet, and VLAN, which is what made some of the older approaches to chopping up networks and protecting them more difficult. Excellent. Very comprehensive, Mike. Now, let's get into foundational security. What is the role of foundational security using DNS in zero trust? Well, foundational security can be one of your most powerful tools in your zero trust arsenal. Lest we forget, the domain name system is a central component of your current IT and network architecture, right? DNS provides for the domain name translation for just about anyone or anything in any of your networks. So it has to be looked up for them to reach the desired server, right? So in the midst of digital transformation, Many enterprises have failed to really think about DNS controls, admin, and management within their cybersecurity strategy. Often, these capabilities have defaulted to a mix of ISPs, on- and off-premise local hardware, multiple disparate cloud-based capabilities depending upon vendor. And these disparate and separate DNS capabilities generally have no integration with the modern cybersecurity threat intel that you could get web filtering or just other basic defensive capabilities. Most have no integrated support for common cyber threats. They can't protect you against denial of service attacks, nor can they provide the central visibility you need so that DNS can really be a foundational security and help you know, your SOC team, your red team, your blue team, and all these other people do their jobs, right, as right. a cornerstone of zero trust. Network management teams in most enterprises now are partnering much more closely with the cybersecurity teams. One of the key areas for the collaboration is now to position DNS and foundational security, which was traditionally administered by the network folks as a core component of zero trust and hence highly visible and accessible also by the cybersecurity folks. The basic foundational core network services you rely on to run your business are now your most valuable security control and threat intel asset and hence critically important for zero trust. So you know a little bit deeper, maybe the 50-foot view, the foundational security services in here include DNS, DHCP, right, and IP address management. In aggregate, we call these DDI, which are all essential to your IP-based comm. Foundational security using DNS gives you the ability to control all of this, especially with a hybrid architecture. So you saw all of this falling prey to the digital transformation, right? You were losing your centralized points of control, but foundational security with DNS gives you back that centralized point of visibility. From one place, you can see all of this access and egress to DNS through your different clouds, through your on-premise, through your various users, uh, however they get there. And this is a powerful tool to give control back to the SOC team and the cybersecurity and networking teams so that they can better protect the enterprise. So a hybrid architecture is a key component of this, and all of this makes zero trust work better. 
Yeah, and control is just absolute key. So we've covered quite a bit of ground here. So let's boil this down to one takeaway. What's the one takeaway you want listeners to come away from Zero Trust? Well, personally, I believe that the use of Zero Trust strategy for security brings compelling value, whether you're enterprise or government. The digital transformation has pretty much eliminated, in great part, the traditional perimeter-based security model and has really made it imperative to move to a more comprehensive security strategy like Zero Trust. Zero Trust points a bright spotlight on those that are exhibiting malign behavior, anomalous behavior, that would access data that they should not, and make certain that their identity is authenticated at every step in the process so they can be found. You know, Zero Trust accepts the fact that you will have intruders in the network, but then gives you the best tools to stand tall, fight them, and win the cyber war successfully. Foundational security leveraging the visibility and protection offered by DNS services is also a core part of what should be your zero trust strategy and another key takeaway. Foundational security gives you the ability to reduce cyber incidents, investigate them faster, minimize risk, substantially strengthen your compliance and governance initiatives, and give you another point of centralized control that you may have lost elsewhere across the enterprise. I think that brings my answers to a wrap. Uh, Peter, thank you much for having me as a guest on the show today. Excellent information, Mike. This is Peter Schof of Threat Talk speaking with Mike Zuckerman of Infoblocks. For listeners looking for more information on this and many other topics, I recommend going to the Infoblocks website and go to the tab resources and you'll find numerous white papers and podcasts. And I'd like to thank listeners for joining me on another Threat Talk podcast. And Mike, thanks so much. You've been listening to Infoblocks Threat Talk, to ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about maintaining a secure, always-on network that enables digital transformation, visit www.infoblocks.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.